Hey listeners, this is episode two of the first season of The Designated Sitter. Tonight I'm joined by my co-host Steven as we talk about red hot rookies. If we were to tell you at the beginning of the year that Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger, and such players would have contention for the MVP, you would have laughed right in our faces. But there's a group of about eight rookies who are giving them a big run for their money. Let's get right into it. crazy on terms of games or changes in teams. Uh, highs and lows for me for this week. Big low is probably Gardner getting ejected. Did you see this? <laughs> I, no, I think I did actually. The one where he was, yeah. he does that weird thing where he takes the bat and he bangs on top of the dugout. I've seen him right. do it like three or four times. Yeah, if you remember earlier in the season, he threw the helmet at the wall. <laughs> Ends up coming back and smacking him dead in the face, right? Yes, yeah. So he yeah, got yeah, injured. Sure. So they pretty much told him no more throwing in the dugout. <laughs> so now he goes in and he does this thing where he hits the roof of his bat. He's being dead silent, and everybody in the bullpen is calling the umpire out because the calls are just terrible. He got called out for, I think it was a strike three that was outside the box. If I'm not wrong, right? It was it was a pretty bad calling. Uh, I don't think I ever saw the video of him his at bat. I know he was mad, but I think I think I've only ever seen him just where he's in the dugout. But right, coach is calling out the bad, you know, it's bad calls. You've got the bench coach yelling, a couple other players, and then the umpire goes to a strike three call, turns around and just gives the toss signal. Aaron Boone comes running out, and he's been he's normally a quiet guy. I, well, he has gotten a lot louder lately than he's been over his career. Sure, sure. Put it that way, right? Savages in the box. So he comes out yelling, who's who's gone? And he says, you know, he goes, oh, it's Gardner. And Gardner's like, but I didn't say anything. Gardner doesn't even realize he's tossed. Boone's out there yelling. Umpire tosses Boone. Then Gardner realizes he's tossed, and he comes out, and Boone has to hold him back. He's ready to scrap. He gets back around his coach, the manager, and he's trying to fight with the umpire almost, just blazing mad. And he should be. There was no reason to toss him. He wasn't saying anything. He was dead quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Was he... And so... Did he actually get to him? I know he was, like, running at him and trying to fight him. I didn't see if he actually yeah, got to him. If you're a gardener, you're not going to throw swings. You can't afford to be suspended. And so, yeah, he was pretty mad. And then him and Boone go to leave. And I think if I remember right, the umpire tells Boone, I didn't toss you. Where are you going? And then Gardner turns around, and here's a high. Gardner turns around and goes, so can I stay too, or something to those <laughs> lines. Just pulls a quick one on this umpire, who obviously has no idea what he's doing right now. Quick quick little setup for you on that. In a lot of leagues, if players or, or managers or coaches or whatever capacity they play do something out of line, they get fined, right? Yeah. To your knowledge, does this umpire get fined for a poor call like this? I don't think that umpires get fined based on calls. I know they're judged on performance, right? Like I know that they have 
because we have, uh, I think it's called Pitch FX, which is where it tracks, you know, it can tell you exactly how much of the baseball crossed the strike zone. Right. And I know that they get graded on accuracy, which is why, like, in blowout games, they, you know, you're like, just give them a strike call for Pete's sake. We know, like, no one wants to be here anymore, but they're still, like, required to be accurate. I don't know if they actually get fined for poor performance. I bet they can get fired, probably. Well, we've seen a few umpires get passed, quite <laughs> obviously, and it's fair. bring up lawsuits for reasons outside of their performance to hide the fact that it's really their performance and they can't accept that. Oh, ooh, ooh, that's a that's a topic we're going to get to. I'm ready. It's a I'm, I'm here for it. I'm but here let for me it. just say this. If they was a fine, I wouldn't doubt MLB is keeping that thing under wraps. Because umpires get a lot of crap. There's a reason. They don't announce an umpire until 20 minutes before the game. Right? I didn't know there that. Is no okay. official, there's no official statement of who's going to be umpiring the game. Mm-hmm. Right until about, I think it's released 20 minutes before the game. On a note of the Yankees, another highlight is the Yankees have scored more home runs against the Orioles than the Giants have scored at Oracle Park. Yankees are mashing. And they absolutely own Camden Yards. Do you think they sell tickets when the Yankees come to town? To the Yankees? It's not a long drive. Think about it. You see other teams in town. Oftentimes, half the fans at Camden seem to be from the opposite team if it's in the AL East. I wouldn't want yeah. to pay and get watch my team just get absolutely drubbed by a team. That I know it's going to happen because it's happened every single time we've, they've, we've played them this season. You know? Sometimes tickets aren't always on the team's performance. I mean, the Astros are having sellouts because they're fun to go watch. Mm-hmm. The Marlins aren't selling tickets because they're not fun to go watch. But the Rays are really good, but Tampa's not a good baseball city. People still go to Detroit Tigers games. Why would anyone want to go to a Detroit Tigers game this year if you're a fan of the Tigers? Um, Like internal hope, maybe, you know, like I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling good. You know, maybe this is, you know, full disclosure. I have actually rather enjoyed watching White Sox games. They're not doing as bad as Detroit is, but they have a couple guys on that rotation that are fun to watch. Dylan Cease, Giolito, Yvonne Nova in the beginning. I don't think he's been hurt for a while, but. But sometimes bad teams are fun to watch because there's good players on bad teams. But Angels. <laughs> I wouldn't classify the Angels as a bad team, but yeah. We can. I wouldn't classify them as a good team either, but they're fun to watch because of players, not because of the team. One player that I feel like is kind of controversial in terms of how do you decide whether or not he should be where he's at is Jackie Bradley Jr. Okay, that's the center fielder for the Red Sox, right? Correct. Every year it seems like he is terrible up until the halfway point, the all-star break, mm-hmm. at batting. And then he just breaks loose. I mean, if you want to see good batting, look at his highlights from the ALCS championship game against the Astros last year in 2018. Okay. Right? Now, that being said, every year, it is just horrible up to that point. This year, he's remained not a good batter. He's hitting somewhere in the 180s. Beneath the Mendoza line. Right, right. Oof. The issue is, is he is one of the best defensive fielders in baseball. He's constantly making big plays. He does a ton with the Boston center field, and Boston's not an easy place to field. Oh, yeah. Jackie Bradley Jr. is actually ranked eighth overall in all of baseball and outs above average. So if you take that into effect, 
how do you as the Red Sox determine how long do we keep this person on through their terrible batting because he holds runs from being allowed. So my highlight tonight, he finally hits a home run. I don't know that he's going to break his slump just yet, but it was nice to see him move in the right direction. I mean, it's going to bring his slugging up decently so, not so much his batting average as much. Yeah. But Well, and to be and to be 100% fair, only one, two, three players listed above him that are better defensively are starters. There's plenty of defensive-minded players that aren't starters because they can't hit. So they ride the bench. They come in in situations where you have a lead and you want to secure a lead, so you put out a better defensive lineup to you know try to keep and hold that lead so you can win games. Maybe that's his sweet spot. If he can't consistently hit, is, is his lack of offensive prowess a bigger negative than his defensive positive. Well, I mean, you've got a designated hitter in the AL. So where the NL suffers from pitchers generally being bad hitters, but being a great part of their defensive strategy, Hmm. it kind of evens out for Boston in terms of that, where he really isn't great offensively. But you look at what he does defensively, he makes a huge difference for Boston. So are you saying that Boston is currently playing with an NL lineup against AL teams? It is rough because the AL through 2018, the AL both home and away teams generally outscored the NL in their average game by a run because of the designated hitter and their focus on batting. True. I went to a game where the Orioles played, and like we said, the Orioles, not a, not super good at baseball this year. Um, not to take away the fact that they're professional baseball players and they get paid to play a really, really hard game. They're talented, but man, those dudes can hit. Well, well the AL is the progressive side of baseball right now. You look at it, the Astros are looking at launch angles. They're developing technologies that just push and go further. They've got magic formulas sitting in the back kitchen that nobody gets to see the front of. Tampa Bay experimenting with openers and having some of the best ERAs in baseball and driving ahead for a long time. You know, the Red Sox were willing to take from the A's the Moneyball strategy back in 2003 and 2004, bringing in the designated hitter. It's the progressive side of baseball. NL's a little more romantic on the traditional side. So when it comes to new batting strategies and and being willing to strike out but hit for the fences, it's going to come from those AL teams. Did you see Kevin Cash? He's the manager for the Rays. The Rays. He pulled his starter after eight and two-thirds inning in a 1-0 game. He had given up four hits, and he pulled him with one out to go from finishing a complete game shutout. I just think about it like, holy cow, like getting pulled after you're so close to finishing a complete game. So what are your highs and lows for the week? A um, couple things. First one, I love learning new things. Did you know that every single baseball used in Major League Baseball games are rubbed with mud before they are played with? I actually do know this, and the only reason I know this is because I work in some capacity for a company in the minor leagues, right? The guy digs this mud out of the Delaware River in a hidden spot. Yes, like, like his family's the only one that knows where this secret special mud is. It blows my mind that MLB, this hyper-tech, super-specific, you know, StatCast, AI, all this stuff that they're pushing to try to do it, has every ball rubbed with mud. You're going to probably bring up the fact that they're looking at doing natural grip balls. Yeah, yeah. In one of their mini juicing effects. Sure, sure. Balls come with a natural sheen to them. And so it doesn't make them very grippy. They're almost slippery. Pitchers aren't allowed to use any kind of pine tar or foreign substance. They get in a lot of trouble for that. But to counter it, somebody from the ball club, normally the home team takes 
uh, charge of it. In the majors, I think it's an umpire that does it. They rub every ball up. So this guy supposedly has just the right consistency mud that they love. I, I'm just curious how you find that in the first place. And I wonder what it's like. You're walking up the Delaware River just on a, I don't know, backpacking trip. I don't know how far up this is. And you see this random guy digging mud into a bunch of buckets. <laughs> yeah, he said that he gave a, he would, depending on who it was, he'd give him a variety of reasons why he's digging in the mud, depending on how serious they are. It's just, it was a really cool thing to me that there's, because baseball is so tradition heavy, I love that there's still some parts of the game that they haven't been able to replicate with in a lab. I love it. But right, to this point. Yeah. I, I'm, I like the look of a rubbed up ball. Yeah. I like the kind of grime to it. I'm, I'm not really excited to see what these natural grip balls end up looking like. I think it's just another attempt to make the ball more aerodynamic and then claim that we're not doing it. Man, you are, uh, you're full on conspiracy theory with that one. But I mean, I feel it. Um, okay. So this, my second high, and it's kind of a, an interesting topic that I've, that I've thought of. Um, so Barry Bonds, 12 years ago this week, hit his record setting home run to pass Hank Aaron. If you guys have never seen that clip, go watch it. It's electric. I could never even imagine being in a stadium that was that was that crazy. It was AT&T Park back then, but it's Oracle Park now. But oh my gosh, like just an, a bomb out to right center or yeah, right center and just the electricity. But it brings up the thing. Because one of my lows this week as well, Mariners shortstop Tim Beckham suspended for 80 games for PEDs. You can't talk about Barry Bonds without talking talking about steroids. For whatever reason, those are inexplicably linked. Like you, I mean, you think Mark McGuire, you think those guys as well with the whole steroid era. But Bonds specifically, and it's probably just because of the home run prowess, he is not currently a Hall of Famer and yet holds the record for hitting the most home runs of any player in MLB history. In your opinion, should he be a Hall of Famer? I do think so. And you know what? I'll tell you this. We're going to, in the future, have a batting coach on here, okay. Coach Pablo, who runs a batting cage on his own. And I went into him a little bit ago to learn a little more about batting because batting has changed a lot. There's two sides to this. There's the way they used to teach it in the majors. And then there's the way that every Little League coach teaches it, which generally is a little bit off. Right. Okay, sure. Little league coaches don't always make great coaches, but we're glad that they get out and volunteer their time. Doesn't mean that you're going to learn the right things from them, but mm-hmm. they give you what they've got. And one of the big things is is if you study Barry Bonds' swinging mechanics, it's strange. One player who who subscribes to this method a lot is JD Martinez. And there's a reason JD Martinez is a designated hitter. The idea is, is these guys don't swing around like a merry-go-round. They go straight under and up like mm-hmm. a Ferris wheel. And the idea is, as the ball's coming at you, speed varies a lot. So one, if you're coming at that angle, you can almost control your launch angle better. But if they go from a fastball to a curveball, your timing's going to change a lot. But if you stay in the on plane with the ball, meaning as the pitch is coming in, you're behind where the pitch should be in the strike zone for longer. If your timing is off, you can still make contact with the ball. Mm. Your contact percentage be- goes up. And so I, I really do feel like Barry Bonds brought a lot to the game. He's not one of the only ones who used this strategy, but he made it more worth approaching. One thing that's interesting about him on that, Barry Bonds, one thing I was thinking about is PEDs don't always result in what you want them to. Okay. I don't know where I you're going looking, with this. I'm looking at... Because I don't batting. think you want to challenge him on that. I don't. That's just me. 
you'd imagine your top five guys in 2015, I wouldn't even have to read them off to you and you'd know. Trumbo, Bautista, sure. Cruz, David Ortiz, mm. Miguel Carrera, right? You know these guys are on the top. There's no surprises. In the bottom four, you found Burns, Revere, Suzuki. And the funniest one of all is D. Gordon, who in the beginning of 2016 was tested positive for PEDs, having run through the last season and suspended. Now, he was at the bottom of exit velocity, bottom of travel distance. He did, however, win the NL batting title that year, which I find to be a weird conundrum Sure. on that. But he played for none other than the Marlins, who in 2015 had none other than Barry Bonds as the batting coach. I didn't know. Oh, you're saying? He's like, yo, you want to know how I got so good at this? Take these real quick. <laughs> I don't know that he got the batting he got the, the batting title, so obviously he was doing fine, but I do wonder if being at the bottom of those charts, you know, he was using performance-enhancing drugs to, to catch up mm. to some degree. I mean, he still did well in the season. But the other funny thing on that is that Barry Bond's career has been riddled with these sorts of things, and th- there's a lot of players who have. Even David Ortiz at one point in 2005, six got tested, and there was a lot of controversy there. But as far as it goes with, with D. Gordon, the funny thing is is, he was saying, I never took them knowingly. And here you have Barry Bonds as his batting coach. I'm not going to convict Barry Bonds. I, I don't even think that he did. But I think that when you get a group of people who are looking for something to find and you have that exact situation. Okay, first off, I think you're crazy. I guarantee you that dude is roided up just based on probabilities alone. Do you think that he was roided up by Barry Bonds though, or that Barry Bonds played a role in that? That's where the real controversy comes oh, in. Oh, I thought you were saying... I thought you said that you didn't think Barry Bonds used roids. Oh, no. D. Gordon used roids and Barry Bonds used it. That's been tested. Okay, cool. The question there is, though, is where Barry Bonds is your batting coach and you just tested positive for roids and you're going to claim that you didn't take them knowingly. If you did take them knowingly, you have the best cop out that you could possibly have in all of baseball at the moment. Is that you have a batting coach <laughs> that's literally had this exact problem. Yeah, I feel that. Um, other thing, this is the last thing I had a, um, saw a Twitter exchange from Jim, this guy named Jim Passon. He talked about how this guy said, they're talking about how good Mike Trout was quantifiably the best ever to play baseball. Like there's, there's a, there's actually a, a trout tracker that ESPN puts out every month or so where they take how much war he's accumulated and which hall of famers he's passing. Right. His wins above replacement. How, how many more wins they get just by having him play. Exactly. And, and how many, these guys have, you know, computed this much war for over their seasons, these guys that played in the thirties. Right. And they go through and say, we don't want Mike Trout passing them to be a knock on them. So they do an article showing how good these guys were with quotes and stuff from their contemporaries. And this guy tweeted and he said, his team is not going anywhere. Kind of a horrible team he plays in. Plus, he plays when the rest of America sleeps. No pressure. Drop him in Boston, New York, or Philly. I doubt he'll perform the same. This guy then tweets at him. He says, in Mike Trout's 44 games played in Boston, New York, and Philadelphia, 205 plate appearances, 62 hits, 19 doubles, two triples, and eight home runs, 33 runs scored, 31 RBIs, 28 walks, 44 strikeouts, three hit by pitches, He's hitting 358, 454, 630 with an OPS of 1.084, right? This guy, he continued to argue. I don't know why he was so anti-Mike Trout, but the thing got on and someone chimed in at the end saying how Mike Trout missing out on the postseason is bad for baseball. I disagree with it, but I'd honestly love to hear your take on 
or what you think? It's hard to quantify what's good and bad for baseball. Okay. Let that, it rip. That's, what do you a, think? that's a that's a subjective statement. This argument happens in every single sport. Good players on bad teams. It's the Angels' own fault they haven't figured it out. You've got Albert Pujols. You've got Mike Trout. Pujols is got... washed. Hmm? Well, that's fine. Pujols is washed. He was. That's fine. He was. You he have... was the machine, and now he's. You have a great team with a lot of veteran experience that could be teaching some of these young guys, though. Sure. Guys should be coming up from Salt Lake ready to learn from some of the best. Yeah. No, I feel that. And they're not digging into it. This is a team who watches teams like the Astros and the Rays and the Red Sox develop data, use data, and grow, and says, no, we're going to play old-school baseball in the AL. You're not an NL team. You are not going to survive the AL playing the same method. Mike Trout, I wish we could see him on another team. I do. I love how much he's committed to that team, but I hate not seeing him in the postseason. They had the one run. They lost in a complete sweep, and you didn't get to see much from him. Fun fact, though, about those games in the East, Mike Trout had not hit a home run in Fenway Park until this weekend. I did see that, actually. Yeah. I wonder why that is. That's something that I'd like to research, and maybe we can figure it out later in the week, but I don't it's know. It's that wall. I think it's that pesky wall. <laughs> um, I think that personally, personally, this is in my heart of hearts, thinking about Mike Trout on the Angels. I love, and maybe this is, you're, as you're talking about the AL being the progressive side of baseball, and the NL being more traditional. I've never thought of it like that, but it seems to make sense because I love being a National League fan. The tradition and the camaraderie of sticking with a team your whole entire career. There's tons of stories and articles and, and things on Mike Trout. And Mike Trout's the kind of guy that isn't a bright lights kind of guy in his own personal life. He has his home in New Jersey, and he likes playing for L.A., he, and he separates those two. He goes home, and he doesn't think about baseball during the offseason, and it's this weird dichotomy of like, yeah, this is who I am as a baseball player. I'm the best player that's ever played, right? I doubt he'll tell, that, tell you that, but for the most part, everyone else can see that. But at the other side of it, he's like, but that's not my life. You know what I'm saying? So I love that he's this homegrown, humble dude, and I think that I don't want Major League Baseball to become the NBA. And do you believe in the the World Series hangover? Um, I think the World Series hangover is more of a placebo effect than anything else. I think that. I mean, we're talking twenty games deeper into the season. If you go the full the full length and every you're talking about just wear potential, and tear. right? I mean, you most teams end of September. If you don't make the playoffs, you've got a good while off. If you go the full distance, like look at the Red Sox last year, you're playing all the way deep into November. So yeah, where Mookie no, Betts has been playing deep as November, he's had less rest, and then you're back in February at spring training. Mike Trout's been in New Jersey since September 27th. Are you saying that's why he's better consistently? Because I think he's... I don't want to make that claim. I just want to ponder, does being with the team that never makes it to the postseason help that lifestyle where he likes being in a separate life when baseball's not going on? I'm not sure. I, don't, I would never say that Mike Trout doesn't want to play in the playoffs because I don't believe that. But I think that him sticking with the team, no matter how many times they've missed it, and wanting to finish his career there and make that team good, shows a respect for the game and for baseball in general. But that's just my personal thing. I would agree. And you know what? I'm not against Mike Trout being there. I I do like the Angels in some ways. I wish that they would catch up to some of where the AL is moving. 
so they could be competitive to put Mike in the playoffs. They frustrate me there. I'm not frustrated with him about not being in the playoffs. No, yeah, for sure. I'm frustrated with the Angels for not utilizing the talent they have in their roster. Good deal. Well, those are my highs and lows. I created this work through with you. Stats with Steven, tale of two teams. And I want to give you a couple stats, and I want you to see if you can identify these two teams. You're going to put me on blast here. Um, we'll see. What I, I think I don't know. We'll see. One team averages 5.4 runs per game. The other averages 5.68. One averages about 3.5 walks per game. The other averages 3.6. One averages 7.7 strikeouts per game. That's batter striking out, not pitcher strikeouts. The other one is um, has gone averaging eight strikeouts per game. So they strike out a little bit more. The second team does. One team's slash line is 268 batting average, 339 slugging, and a 453 on base percentage. Team number two is 274. 344 and 471 improvement across all the boards. Team one has a fielding percentage of 0.984. Team two is 0.987. Average age of a team is 27.7, while the average age of team two is 27.2. For those that don't understand all of that, team got younger, hits better, and scores more per games. Why? These two have very, very different records. These are as of August 8th is when I took these stats. Team 1's record during that time is 81 and 34. Team 2 is 60 and 56. And if you remember, Team 2 has not only statistically been better offensively, they have a run differential of plus 60, while Team 1 has a rough run differential of plus 205. You want to tell me what two teams these are? Give me give me their standings one more time. Team 1's 81 and 34. Team two is 60 and 56. I'm stumped. Team one is the 2018 Red Sox. Team two is the 2019 Red Sox. That makes a lot more sense. I felt like it was going to be the Red Sox. And the reason being is there's not a ton different. Here's no. what frustrates me about no, watching dude, the Red Sox. They have all, the almost all the same team. players. It's the same team. It's the and same they can't team. bring it together. Okay, so I did a little other thing. I wanted to figure out what I went to is... I had seen a graphic or something online, and I was trying to figure out what happened to the Red Sox. A couple of things to look at. Pitching in 2018, this year, they have more strikeouts than they did last year. They have a full, it's their whip, which is walks and hits per innings pitched, has a 1.246, so approximately one base runner per inning is how that kind of works. Last year, 1.382 this year, so it is up. ERA last year was 3.75. ERA this year is 4.81. They're averaging almost a full run given up more per game. They're still scoring runs. Oh, yeah. No, no, they're better statistically this year. In batting. Yeah. But they're pitching. So good news for them is they finally accepted that they needed a bullpen piece. Bad news is, is they realized that Andrew Kashner, as he's been being thrown around lately, Andrew Trashner, is not a starter. Did you did you hear the report that Alex Cora said on their plans for how they're going to use him in the bullpen? I didn't. They said he's not going to be a long-term guy. He's going to come in. They're going to have him throw a couple of his big fastballs, as they call it, at a couple batters, mm-hmm. and then pull him. Mm-hmm. I'm just concerned as to what they think a fastball is worth in modern baseball. Oh, well, it depends. I mean, obviously, that we can get really deep into spin rates and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, and it also depends on what kind of fastball you're throwing, a four-seam or a two-seam, depending on the kind of movement they have. What does his uh, uh, average fastball velocity top out at, do you know? I think on his four-seam, he's somewhere around 94. Which Really? That's, like, that's pretty good, actually. It's a good fastball. Yeah. He, he's in a higher percentile, for sure. A lot of guys are hitting 91, 93 is about the majors. Yeah, especially for starters. I feel like I feel right. like that's be something to look at, too, the average velocity from relievers to starters. Right. As a reliever, that's a pretty good fastball. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. But, I mean, if you want to look at pitching magic, the Astros don't generally lead in fastballs. Um, and, yeah, I would contend that Justin Verlander throws more fastballs now than he did then. He just throws them up in the zone. But so this is something that I figured out. Starting pitchers ERA significantly worse, four point six eight to three point four two, and we're I'm included Sale as their ace because he is I I believe, um and the difference between those two. So in twenty eighteen, the starting pitchers ERA as a unit was three point four two. It was three point seven five without Sale's ERA because I think he was a sub three, maybe even sub two, last year. This year. They have a 4.6 ERA, and without without sale, they have a 4.69 ERA. Almost no difference, right? So you can you can point to sale as being like, holy cow, there's huge regression here. Like it's his fault, right? He's obviously not living up to what he performed in 2018. It's hard to put that all on him. This is what I figured out. The relievers in the Boston organization last year they had a 3.63 ERA of relievers that are on the 25-man roster. They have a uh, 3.78 this year. Not terribly different. The huge difference this year is that relievers that aren't on the 25-man roster but on the 40-man roster had a 5.16 ERA last year, and this year they're at 8.26, which means the guys that you guys are calling up, like the the guys that the Boston is pulling up from – from their AAA affiliates aren't performing. They're just not. They're getting knocked around. And if, especially if those are happening in, in late situations where they're not, you know, if the, the games are closer, then you're going to lose a ton more games because 80, 80 and 41 to 1656 is a huge difference in games one. Well, and this should be no surprise. I mean, we should have known what Boston would look like at this point when they brought in Dombrowski. The Tigers went through the same thing. They had a couple good runs. Then their their bullpen fell to nothing. Then their farm dried up. And then they got rid of him. And he goes to Boston. And look at where Boston's at. There's nothing in the bullpen. The farm system is gone. Yeah, we sold the farm to win a World Series. That's fine. But they're not doing anything to build it right now. It, it's exactly what you should have expected. And you look at some of the things that happened in the offseason. They lost Craig Kimbrell, who in the regular season was a great arm for them. He broke down at the end which I wonder if kind of went into why they didn't want to expand to pay him. They're already the top-paying team in baseball right now, which makes that hard. The other thing is you lose Joe Kelly, who was great up till September, really struggled in September. And then I, I think you can credit a lot of that postseason success to Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly really pulled together, and he was captain of the bullpen. Craig, I, I've heard him say himself, you know, Craig wanted to be the captain. And there's a great, if you want to hear him talk about this in his own words, Section 10 interviewed him, and they did a great job with it. But I do think Joe Kelly is the real loss here. Mm. Sometimes you can't really rate a player's influence among other players against their own stats. Sure. You know, you look at this. The Red Sox, to some degree, understand this. There's a reason that Brock Holt stayed and Eduardo Nunez was DFA'd. Yeah. No, I feel that. They had about the same stat line. But Brock Holt is a big credit to the success of guys like Chavis and 
a lot of these guys who you see him sitting and chatting with them. He's a happy guy. He bumps up the clubhouse. He brings a lot of needed energy to that dugout. Yeah, for sure. And so I think Joe Kelly misses the Red Sox too. I mean, look at how he's doing in, in L.A. So crazy note, since June 1st, he has been postseason Kelly. And I'm happy for him. I, I honestly, regardless of what team he plays for, I will be a fan of Joe Kelly. Mm. Yeah, I know he went through some weird stuff. Like he was on a bereavement leave for a while. He's mourning something. I don't know everything that happened, but he was spent some time away from the club to go handle some personal stuff and came back and was never right, but has looked really good lately. Oh, and being a pitcher is a head game. Yeah, no, I agree. Right on. Um, so wanted to talk to you about players that are having breakout seasons. Off the dome, what are some players that you're looking at? I know one that really hurts right now for you. Who's that? So... Our fantasy league. Oh, yeah. I, I told you at the beginning of the year, and I got laughed at for this, Raphael Devers would have an amazing season. He, he wasn't by any means extremely impressive last year, nor was he unimpressive. It, it's, hard, it's hard to say what he was when the rest of the Red Sox were so good. Mm-hmm. I drafted him, what, second, third round? Really high for a player who was ranked where Devers was at the beginning of the season. Hold on, quick pause. Um, what's, what's the records in fantasy right now? I just want to put that out there, you know, for the, for the listeners. <laughs> 17 and one, number one, by the way. That's fair. And one. That's fair. But Raphael Devers has in almost every day scored me near 10 to 15 points consistently. Oh. All right. He's, he's been amazing. And it has a little bit to do with the way you've tweaked the scoring system, <laughs> which ended up to my advantage with Raphael Devers. And we'll hash that out in our personal time later. Okay, good deal. That being said, uh, at, at the middle of the season, you and I made a trade for Mookie Betts. I don't remember what was involved in that. I, I think that I gave you... You gave me um, the RBI leader in the major leagues, actually. Right. I gave you a Yankee who was injured because there was a no. ton of them. I, oh, I you kept, did. Yeah, I, I dropped him Aaron Judge, But I gave you... It was Hicks. He's. I dropped him so long ago. No, I wanted. I wanted Eduardo Escobar. That's who I wanted. And he. Right, been, right. And in the trade, I also got. It was Colton Wong. Colton Wong, who has been good, but I haven't used him very yeah. much. Having had Mookie Betts, he has only in a blue moon outscored Rafael Devers in fantasy points accrued. Sure. Rafael Devers has had an amazing season. Ones that you couldn't have predicted, Cattell Marte. I, I didn't see this happening. I honestly, at the beginning of the season, if you asked me if he would have a great year, I, I wouldn't have known. Josh Bell, we'll get into him a little bit. And Jordan Alvarez, no one even knew he'd be in the bigs this year. And I've got a couple funny things about him, but I think we should kind of go through these guys a little bit. Do. Why Why were you so sure that Rafael Devers was going to have a breakout year? It's funny to say, it's hard to know what it was. I don't know. It may have just been a guess. I like the guy personally, first sure. off. The Red Sox call him Carita in, in the dugout, which means baby face. Yeah, he looks like a big baby. He's a young-looking yeah. guy. Um, he just had that stat line last year that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things that a lot of these players struggle with is last year, I remember one of the big things I heard about him was that in the batting cage, you'd get really frustrated. And the other frustrating thing was the language barrier. Mm. So not only is he – he's a few – he's about 23 almost – maybe just a little over 23. He's a young kid. And so you take a young guy, you put him in a major league in a high-pressure situation on a team that's at a high caliber that you have to compete to keep a spot on. 
then you put him in the batting cage with a coach who's trying to give him directions in a language that's not natural to him. He was just frustrated all year last year. And with that kind of stress on a baseball player in a head game, still putting that slash line together, mm. he was doing pretty impressive. So this year, once his English was together and he didn't have to have an interpreter anymore, I don't know what it was. It just felt like something would click. That removal of stress could allow that line just to bump up. There was no data to prove that that's what it would be. It's just looking at players when they get comfortable with themselves, if they've got the right setup, they're going to go somewhere good with it. Yeah, no, I feel that. Where do you see him ending this year? So here's the funny thing with him. So first half of the season, he was somewhere around, let's see, his average. Okay, so first half of the year, Rafael Devers is batting 324 with a runs, weighted runs created plus, you know, accounting for park factors and whatnot, sure. of about 136. He was killing it at the beginning of the year. Since the All-Star break, he's gotten cold. He's hitting somewhere around 300 with a weighted runs created of 133. And that's just if you take the stats only since the All-Star break and not including what's before. So he is tanking a little bit right now. Mm -hmm. He's still at 300, which is by all means a decent batting average. But he's not at the beginning of the season. I I'm hoping we see a turnaround. We do see this a lot of the time with call-ups where they're really hot at first, mm -hmm. and then they have to refigure out who they are and what it is that makes them a good player, and then they get hot mm -hmm. again. I'm hoping this is just a momentary freeze for I you. I gotcha. Good deal. Right on. Um, I like what you had said about Cattell Marte. Um, that dude, when we talk about breakout seasons, he came out of nowhere. He was originally in the Mariners organization uh, before he ended up in Arizona, but he was this skinny, slap-hitting, defensive-minded shortstop. And from last year to this year, has become this power-hitting center fielder that has been just absolutely tearing it up. He actually is, you know, the whole National League MVP race is between who? Yeah, you've got a good MVP race in the NL. You've got Christian Yellick sitting up there. You've got... Coat Bellinger sitting in LA that's they're both in triple crown contention they could quad crown Yelich can if he gets the stolen bases which is crazy right. but everyone is doing this whole belly yelly thing you know like that's that's the MVP race and because if you look at it it's that's fair like in in wins right. above replacement for position players Yelich is at six Bellinger's at 7.6 the only reason he has a big lead on Yelich is because of his defensive war but hitting wise, it's five point four and four five point nine, and then Marte, who right. no one saw coming out of her, is at four point seven, right? He is. Well, the hard thing is his name recognition. Yeah, he plays in a small market. It's it is hard, which is super nice. I mean, Rafael Devers, he's only fifteen home runs behind Triple Crown contention and a few other stats, but nobody's talking about him for MVP. It's, well, it's it's hard when you have Mike Trout in your league, but yeah. Well, and he didn't he didn't get an All Star spot, which Kittle Marte did get, which. Was really impressive. Yeah, no, he. I'm pretty sure he roped a double in the All Star game. But he's number three in wins above replacement. He's number three in offensive WAR. He's number six in batting average. He's number nine in slugging percentage. He's number nine in on OPS. He is uh, number seven at bats. He's leads. He's tied for the major or for the National League in hits with Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, he's number six in total bases. He uh, is tied for second with triples 
Um, and he currently is hitting 20. He has, I think he has 25 home runs. He's homered from each side of the plate three times a season in the same game. Dude's a monster, but no one like it's, it's this weird, weird, like, where did you come from? You know? And I think that's an interesting, like for us to talk about is like, why do people have resurgent breakout seasons? I think some people, it's just a change of scenery. Look at the Giants. If anybody's paying attention to our Instagram account, Alex Dickerson. Oh, yep. Made a major change. I mean, he broke out for a bit there coming into the Giants. I think sometimes a change of scenery, sometimes a change of year. Maybe it's a change of staff in in the clubhouse. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got teams who have by no means any all-star pitchers, but their pitching is the best in the league just by a good change. Twins, for example. Hmm. are great with that you know i i think that for him something has to have changed because it doesn't just happen because it happens he did i mean he did i think he put on some like 15 pounds of muscle like he got thicker like he got he got he did get stronger and he's he's getting older but it's it's amazing to me to see what he's done in his game and when we talk about breakout seasons i think one of the things that should be mentioned with cattell specifically is that his positional flexibility he started at second base, shortstop, and center field and has yet to commit an error at any of those positions. That's just impressive. Yeah, and I, I, I think that at this pace, like, he's going to be a superstar, you know? But it's it's sad that he doesn't – there's some of these guys, they don't get the recognition that the Acunas and Vlad Juniors and all these guys get because they're not – you know, like, they don't they don't have the hype train, you know? Right. Right. I, I think a good one is Josh Bell as well. You know, look at a team that's struggling. I mean, the Pirates are in a weird Struggling, place. dude. I think they've won four games since the All-Star break. And I mean, they, they weren't that far behind. The, the NL Central was anybody's game. Right before we started recording our first podcast, they were only six games back of the wild card. And they've just gone downhill quick. So they weren't even that far out of contention. I mean, they were six games back of being their division leaders. Whoa. You look at what they've done. But Josh Bell himself, last year, I, I saw a quote on USA Today that I thought was funny. Last year, it seemed like, they, they were saying, it seemed like he changed his batting stance more than he changed his socks. <laughs> he just didn't know who he wanted to be sure. and how he wanted to bat. Sure. Right? He spends the winter, he goes to SoCal, and he says, you know what, I'm committing I'm not spending time on vacation. I'm not going to Golden Gate Bridge. I'm working towards next season. He got hyper-focused, and it paid off big time. He's been extremely consistent. He's ripping them down the line. But you know what? One thing that's been consistent with all of these guys so far, they're all down since the All-Star break. All but one of them. Is that Jordan? Yeah, and Jordan's up since the All-Star break. There are less games. True, true. Which you have to worry about there. But that being said... He is the only one on the climb. Okay, so I didn't know this. When he got called up, do you know he doesn't he's he is a DH only player. Oh yeah. He he he's not great defensively, is he? I he I don't think he's played a defensive position yet. Well, I mean, there's certain players who are just like that. Do you know that when David Ortiz was in Salt Lake City, he set a record at first base for thirty errors <laughs> that still hasn't been beat? Thirty errors. We're talking about one of the greatest players to play the game of baseball, but he he was not a he was not a defensive player. Oh, that hurts my soul, dude. Because National League, you should play a position to play baseball. That's fine. That's fair. 
But imagine baseball without David Ortiz. For sure. No, I feel you. And I think I think for for me, like just looking at, at what he's done, it kind of draws into contrast what a ton of the other rookies have done this year. Right? Like, because right. Jordan's out there breaking records. He broke uh, Pujols' record for RBIs in like this first, I can't remember how many games. He had 30 plus RBIs in like first 20 something games. Like just hitting the ball really, really well. And yet, there here comes you know Bo Bichette, who I think just set the record for the most extra base hits in his first fifteen games in the major league. And he's been hot right off the bat. Yeah, no, he's just been yeah. Like you can't get the dude out. He has few games under his belt, but like a lot of these guys, Michael Chavis comes up, he's slugging like crazy. Jordan Alvarez comes up, he's going to town. Vlad Guerrero Jr., who did set not, a new record in the home run derby, did not come out of the gate hot. No, but has been an amazing player. He didn't come out of the gate like everybody else, but you have to agree that Vlad Guerrero has been an amazing player as far as call-ups go. He hits the ball really, really, really hard. Yeah, his hard hit percentage is great. It's but and he's he hits like he does. Like I saw him, I saw him hit a ball that literally left his bat and stayed at the same plane, almost no arc till it hit the wall and bounced off the wall two feet beneath the wall. And I think he got a double out of it. Just and it was like 118 miles an hour off the bat. Um, I think that he's a little bit overhyped. Now he's hit at every single level he's played at, right? Like he hit in rookie ball, he hit in single A, double A, triple A, like he hit. So I do think it's coming, but I it's weird to me the fascination. I think so much of that is name recognition. If you look at Jordan, Jordan is the MLB leader. If you put the the quantifier at a hundred plate appearances in weighted um weighted on base like quality of contact. He leads the league in slugging. He leads the league in, in batting average. Like, the dude is tearing right. it up. Since the All-Star break and waiting on, on base average, he's sitting at 476. That's crazy. It's a big, it's a big number. What's Mike Trout at? Trout's at 449. Mike Trout's at 449 right now. Right? I get it. I do. But when you look at these guys, this is the top top six players in weighted on-base average. Jordan Alvarez, number one. Christian Yelich is number two. Mike Trout's number three. Alex Dickerson's number four. Cody Bellinger's number five. And Nelson Cruz is number six. Those are some good names to be associated with, especially as a rookie that only has 197 plate appearances to his name. No doubt. I, I think he is the new David Ortiz. I think he has the potential to be that person who... You will never really see much defensively, mm-hmm. but comes in and makes huge plays. I know everyone's nickname for him is Air Jordan. You've heard this. Which is unfortunate because he never jumps. Air Jordan's pretty catchy, dude. It's nice. It, it Jordan well. Brand needs to sign him. Oh, they they've have got to. to. They have to. It's, it's not, okay, something's not going to sit well with me, though. If I don't make a case for Vlad Guerrero Jr. right here, though, let me just make a quick case for him. Did you see his at-bat against... Chapman, mm-hmm. I did. And it, it was, and no, I think it was 13, you, you but how did it end? You cannot help but applaud a man who can go 13 pitches with Araldis Chapman. I know, I know, Araldis Chapman isn't who he once was, but Araldis Chapman going downhill still puts him above a lot of people. And it pains me to say that. Yeah. Somebody coming down from throwing 105 miles per hour, okay, wow, yeah, they're terrible now. They're coming down from 105. Yeah. I think he still holds the They're record. They're not coming for, down from 91. I think he still holds the record for the fastest pitch thrown so far. He does. He does. 
I think Hicks will break it eventually when he comes back from Tommy John. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. If, this, if the ball seems keep coming down, somebody Someone will. Has to. Um, one thing, one guy that I think no one talks about, and it is a downright shame that no one talks about him, when we talk about rookies that are tearing it up, Brian Reynolds, Pittsburgh Pirates. You cannot get that dude out. He was batting 376 into the All-Star break or something like that. Dude is just, he's just a hitting machine because he plays for this team that has just not been that good. No one talks about him. It's unfortunate. Right. Right now he's sitting at 333 batting average with 110 hits and 36 walks. He walks a good amount of the time, yeah, too. Yeah, no. Yeah. What, what's his strikeout? He has a great eye for the strike zone. He's sitting at 79 strikeouts. You're going to strike out more than you walk. I don't know if anyone's actually ever done it where they've walked more than they've struck out over a full season. But you look at guys that have a really good eye for the strike zone, and that's that's him. Like He replicates and is an example of that idea. It, it's funny because baseball is such a funny thing to look at. Nobody has actually done a full season over the 400s. In, Since Ted Williams. So essentially, in a 1,000 at-bats, so if you take away any time you got walked or hit by the pitch, in a thousand at bats, most people will never make it first base safely more than 400 of those times. I have a buddy that he played D1 college baseball and was good, good baseball player. Played softball with him a couple times. Super, super talented and quit. Not because he wasn't good. He quit because he said that the game, it was too hard mentally. Or not too hard, it was just it was there was too much failure if you think about that yeah it takes a lot oh yeah no you have to like you think about these guys that to get in the hall of fame if you fail seven out of ten times you're going to be a hall of famer that's a ridiculous amount of failure so it's an even greater reason to love the game is because while it may not require the physical expertise that sports like football sports like basketball take it is so mental. I have found, though, that baseball players seem to be the most athletic athletes. That claim I do, is... I do believe that. And I will tell you why. A wide receiver and an outfielder have a pretty similar role. They catch balls. I agree. <laughs> Long fly balls. They've got to read. They've got to run a great route. They've got to make a good jump in that first three seconds to get there. But then the outfielder has to come in and try and hit a fastball. There's no one. I'm a big football fan, too. Okay, I love sports in general. Right. Baseball is my number one. Will always be huge football fan. There is not an opposing team member running step for step for you in your pocket, trying to stop you from catching a fly ball. But they don't have to hit fastballs. I think hitting hitting a baseball is probably the hardest thing to do in sports. I mean, look at Ted Williams. Ted Williams said there's no reason it should be able to happen. Yeah, he said if it was it was that his quote. He said if pitchers hit their spots, mm-hmm. then everyone would have a batting average of zero. He, he said something along the lines of the hardest thing in any sport is to hit the fastball, and there's no reason that human physics should allow mm-hmm. it. Something in that lines. It's not a perfect quote, mm-hmm. but really at 90 miles an hour, the human eye can't process the ball over most of its path. Have you seen that Netflix documentary? It's a good one. I'll I'll have to show it to you. We can put a link at the bottom of our of the page when we post this, but it's a it's a good where they talk about the physics of of hitting a fastball and it's on Netflix and it's a, it's a quality one. But overall, I think it's been a good week in baseball. If not devoid of excitement, it has been a quality one. And somewhere history has been made, I think, with just the rookies in general for the season. But um, One of the things I, I know that on a few of our accounts, we were kind of leading on that we were going to talk about umpires tonight. But I think we've gone so much in depth to so many things. That is an episode that deserves its own episode. And I think it could almost take a little more time for us to, to put that together. So I think we're going to take it out right here. Okay, one little segment that I thought would be fun. Always, always, always 
every team has to hype their team on their social media, right? You see a lot of this? Sure. Who in your perception runs these social media accounts? Interns, baby. Interns. Right. And so the idea is you're not going to put anything bad about your team. Like, obviously, the Detroit Tigers Instagram isn't going to say, come watch us lose the majority of our games this year. They're going to say something like, this guy's hitting bombs tonight, and they're going to post a video, and they're going to hype it, even though they're absolute garbage. Sure. Oftentimes, those posts lead to really funny outcomes. And I think pulling one of those every week would be worthwhile. The one that really killed me this week, there was a promotional post. I don't even remember the company. It was the Orioles. A lot of times this happens where it said, when the Orioles score, you score. And if the Orioles scored more than five runs that week, it was Papa John's. You got I think. the promotional discount. Was it, it Papa, Papa John's, John's pizza? Yeah. Right? Was it like five dollars off for five uh, runs? Maybe half fifty percent off. Maybe. Oh, I'm kicking when I saw this. How often do you think the Orioles score more than five runs? Honestly, man, I don't. Oh no, I feel bad for those guys. I, I think these promotions are funny. I, I lived in the Salt Lake area a couple of years ago, and one of the funny things that was happening out there is they did a promotion for the Utah Jazz. Where if they stole more than six balls, you'd get six free chicken nuggets at McDonald's. You know who led in stolen balls that year? I don't. The Utah Jazz. <laughs> Every night the Jazz played, McDonald's drive-through was a crazy line because they did it nearly every year. every night that yeah. season. You have to wonder how they pick these these promotional items for teams in these seasons. So so two things actually. It's funny. So um, there's one that Taco Bell does with a bunch of different teams. Um, you score a certain amount of runs, and you get free tacos the next day. Still a base, still a taco. Right, yeah. I've seen that so, one. So for for a team, for a couple teams, um, one of them is it's five runs. But for the Rockies, it's six runs because Coors Field. <laughs> Talk about like, yo, we can't so go too runs. crazy with this. They're going to score, so they're going to do this all the time. Um, even with the humidor installed? Yeah, even with the humidor. Okay. My thing, I because I have one, and I thought it was so funny. Um, Texas Rangers. Okay. This is... Okay. So, t- before the game, they tweeted a picture of their lineup and said, let's have some fun. <laughs> the, the Rangers went on to lose this game 19-6 to against the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> During the game, the Texas Rangers tweeted, we are single with like a, you know, like a checkbox. So it's like an option, single, taken, and then a checked box saying, not enjoying this. <laughs> and then and then their next tweet was, it had the final score, and they just like censored the score. So it just, it does, you can't even see the score. And the tweet was, we homered three times today. So that was neat. And it just, it just killed me. Like the, just the brutal honesty. We're like, we're not having a good time. Not even a little bit watching our guys get wrecked by the Toronto Blue Jays, but it's funny. I stand corrected to my original point. They may not always hype. I will tell you this. Whoever that intern is, call us. We want we to talk, talk to, you. to you specifically. <laughs> uh, yeah. I saw one actually where they did it where they took a, the, you know, like they'll tweet like or like they'll post the final score. Um, if you lose really bad, right. they make the numbers really, really small, so you can't read it. Good time. Well, that's our show for tonight, folks. Thanks for, thanks for listening. Dave.